0: For every horror movie to hit VOD, there are countless others that end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these plagued horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if it still stands a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. Development Hell is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network today we have a brand new episode we're going to be talking about carrie fukunaga's unproduced it adaptation that's right that's stephen king's it we are joined today by an extra special guest mrs emily gagne me and emily go way back i'm gonna let her introduce herself so emily who are you what's your deal
1: a very deep question i am a filmmaker as well i made a movie with josh called best friends forever but uh we've been best friends forever as well in reality also sometimes i write about movies i have my own podcast it's called we really like her and we talk about women in film currently we're talking about jane fonda movies if you're into stuff that's not horror i have an instagram account called final girl fashion where i put a spotlight on women's fashions in horror. So please check that out.
0: Welcome back to the pod Mrs. Emily Gagne. We've had you here before for Halloween 3D. I think it was like our second or third episode. So this is this is our origins. This is our our lineage and I'm so happy that you could come back.
1: I'm happy to be here. It's been a time (laughs) preparing for this episode. This is this this is a heavy duty topic. Oh
0: my god so much duty everything about it is long like the movies are long the miniseries is long the fucking book or audiobook is so long
1: yeah yeah, I, you showed me, like, your progress as you were listening to yeah. the audiobook, and I was like, oh my god.
0: It's by far the longest audiobook I ever listened to. It was 42 hours long.
1: Wow. wow. And you know
0: what? It was great. Like, it, uh, I, I, I say that like I hated it. It was really good. I, I was always putting off listening to It and The Stand because they're so fucking long. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that I came around to It. The Stand, like, maybe one day.
1: yeah. Yeah. You've never gotten through it like as a book never or tried- as an audiobook?
0: No, nothing. No. I've only watched the miniseries, which actually I liked quite a bit.
1: Yeah. I feel like that is still a popular one with people. Not the mm. not the recent the staff we're talking <laughs> not about. Not the new one? Not the new one, which I feel like kind of fell off the face of the earth. Like it was like happening and then no one's talking about it since then.
0: Y- yeah, it's not a good sign. No, I'm not interested. Emily Garnier, mm-hmm. what's your like what is your relationship? with the it franchise like where does it all go back to what's your what were your first impressions
1: I feel like like many people around our age millennials I feel like our first introduction to it was not actually the book itself but was the miniseries from 1990 and I don't even mean that we'd all seen it but like and I don't think I saw it until I was a teenager and I was like renting movies um for my local video store but I feel like I saw the image of Mm -hmm. tim curry as pennywise like as a kid and it really imprinted on me and and i found it very very scary and kind of like uncanny valley kind of scary you know oh
0: definitely like just on the cover right of of, yeah of the double vhs
1: yes so i feel like that was my first intro and then when i watched the mini series i think i was still pretty creeped out by him Mm -hmm. and i think to this day, I mean, I don't know if I'm as creeped out on reflection, but I think like that was like a great example to me as a kid of like great practical effects in horror that like really worked. And I mean Tim Curry, of course, is incredible. Um, and can so really better. make a monster into like a feel like a real living thing.
0: Yeah, totally. Never saw the miniseries until maybe a couple of years ago. Okay. I actually think maybe I saw the uh it chapter one. And maybe even chapter two before I saw the miniseries. Because it just, it always looked kind of hokey, pokey, shlokey. Like it didn't look very good. Yeah. Although it did leave a, as you said, like this imprint on our generation in a way. You know, the image of that clown is everywhere. And I think when it comes to the idea of like fear of clowns, a lot of the time it comes down to like fear of Tim Curry as a clown.
1: Yeah, I actually am like famously when I would go to like this kind of like Halloween horror nights in Canada, like (laughs) Screamers. Mm -hmm. I like I remember going to like a clown maze and like being kind of like freaked out by it. And I think I don't like remember being scared of clowns necessarily specifically outside of it as a kid. but Mm -hmm. But I do think, yeah, it comes back to this character and like the fact that like this is a child killing villain. Oh yeah!
0: I first, I want to say thank you for the opportunity of talking about Screamers, because <laughs> people may or may not be aware that I, Josh Coringa, did in fact work at Screamers for one Halloween season. It was very iconic and bizarre. But yeah, they had a clown house, like a clown attraction. Yeah. And one of the weirder parts about it is I remember there was this room and everything was kind of like glow in the dark. And there were all these patterns all over the wall. And there was someone stationed in that room who had like a morph suit, oh, with the same patterns on it. So like they'd move around the room and you would just sort of get the sense that like something was scurrying around, but but they camouflaged into the room. Mm -hmm. It was too much.
1: Too scary.
0: And I would say maybe that this Pennywise is sort of his, maybe his most famous property. Like, his most famous antagonist, would you say?
1: I also think Jack Torrance is pretty famous. I don't know if people know, like, if you're not a horror person, if you even know, like, that his name is Jack Torrance. Like, I feel like you would be, like, Jack, maybe. But Pennywise is so... Like I said, like from kids to adults, you know who Pennywise is. And especially oh, yeah. now that there's these these newer It's, I feel like this whole generation of kids now thinks of Pennywise as their like horror icon. I was actually like, while I was wa- rewatching It Chapter One and It Chapter Two, I like was making sort of like a, a rundown of like horror icons by the decade. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the 70s was like Michael Myers and Leatherface, the 80s, Jason and Freddy, the 90s, Ghostface, the two... 2000s i'm gonna say jigsaw mm-hmm. and then the two 2010s pennywise absolutely you know?
0: correct which pennywise do you prefer um what are their names so we said tim curry yeah and then we have a scars um
1: that's bill bill bill
0: Scarsgard. yeah mm-hmm.
1: okay so you know i feel like i prefer tim curry because he felt a little bit more like a real being to me mm-hmm. and i don't But this is talking more about the makeup, I think, than anything. I think that Bill's performance in It Chapter 1 and 2 is, I think he does a really good job. And personally, the the problem for me is some of the CG that they put on him, especially when you know, like, if you look at, like, set photos, he was fully done up. So sometimes when I see, like, the, like, weird, like, CGI eyes and stuff, I feel like it takes away from what is, like, a really impressive performance.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think that's something that these filmmakers kind of do often, not just with these movies, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I you would agree. I think it's like, you, you're not a good horror fan if you don't say Tim Curry, even if it's not the truth. So I'm going to say Tim Curry too, although this the performance has never scared me and I revisited these It movies, Say What You Will About Them. It's a scary fucking performance. There's that scene in It Chapter 2 where he has like a long moment under the bleachers with the little girl.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, that's, I actually think that scene is one of my favorite in, in the Chapter 2. Um, me too.
0: Well, yeah, but me too.
1: I, that moment like really stuck in my, my head after I watched it this past time like i didn't really remember it and i was like why because i guess it's such a small scene but Mm -hmm. it's really atmospheric and it's
0: and they they take their time
1: yes and also i think it helps that he's like kind of like shrouded in darkness a little bit so we're we're not seeing all of those effects
0: and there's a spooky lightning bug i don't know i'm canadian i should not have said that um firefly
1: I forgot about that. I was just so, I I really liked that little girl and I wish I could have seen more too. of her. Well, Although
0: yeah. speaking of movies that kill kids, something like that has always resonated with me but really popped up this time, taking in so much of this property, mm-hmm. was Pennywise really feels like a Freddy Krueger archetype to me. Mm-hmm. Especially It Chapter 1 really resonates as a sort of modern day Nightmare on Elm Street with the tone, with the horror, with the villain, it all kind of works on the same kind of levels that Nightmare on Elm Street works for me. Yeah. and I, I have to say I really like it chapter one. I think it manages to be fun and pretty scary at the same time.
1: Yeah, I definitely saw the Fred Krueger uh, parallels a lot this time. I mean, I, I think it's always been a little bit there, but because they're both like child killers and, and they only mm-hmm. come for kids.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and they have like uh, their rules are magic, like they can appear as anything, anywhere.
1: Right. They're supernatural. That's so it. so I totally see that. And there's also like a small town sort of vibe. and. hmm. I guess also Pennywise has sort of like fun commentary. Like he says fun things kind of like Freddie does. And there's sort of this like sexual undercurrent that I think <laughs> always comes through for me from Freddie from Freddy and, but also I kind of feel from Pennywise and I, I don't know if you feel that like reading the book as much, but like when I was watching it, chapter one and two, especially two there's like the one scene where he like licks the Glass, where there's like a little kid in the, oh, yeah. in the maze and stuff like that, where I was like, I don't know how I could not read this like a little bit so Yeah, that was
0: bizarro. Today's episode is going to be focused on Carrie Fukunaga's It adaptation, which never got made. And ultimately, we're going to dig deep into Carrie's version, as me and Emily have managed to read the 2014 draft that Carrie wrote with Chase Palmer. For me, the scary clown are those I think they were kind of from the 80s or the 90s those, they had porcelain features but sometimes their bodies were made out of beanbag material. They're like clown dolls. Does this sound familiar? Yeah, of course. They are fucking scary to me. Specifically those, the, yeah, the porcelain clown dolls with the beanbag bodies. I think maybe my dad dated a woman that like had a bunch of them in the 90s and I was like, what is your childhood trauma that you'd want to surround yourself with this.
1: I also think it was like something that a lot of like little girls had when we were young, like in the like eighties and Mm nineties. And I never understood that. Like I never wanted a clown in my room. Like I never understood.
0: There's no death wish.
1: No, no. I mean, I liked dolls and stuff, but like they were like looked like humans. The dolls that I, (laughs) you know,
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah, no, that that is scary too. That's also in my Wikipedia entry. But I, I think in general, the thing that's scary about clowns is just like the juxtaposition between the friendliness and the like scariness like it's just like a trust thing that i think like i've always put my back up against it's like if somebody's being too nice to me like if i'm if i'm at a bar and a man is being too nice to me i'm like immediately like no thank you like this Mm -hmm. what is going on here and so i think with clowns it's like this person is smiling but like what is going on behind Mm -hmm. them you know and i think i think that's kind of confusing as opposed to some of the other like villains like a like a michael myers or or like a jason where like we can't see their expressions and they're kind of like faceless uh, no. You know? like demons in a way. But they're
0: not pretending they're not pretending to be a happy go lucky friend.
1: Yes yes that's the thing is clowns are manipulative and I think that that's why so mm-hmm. many people can find them really scary and of course like think about oh I haven't even brought this up think about the clowns that we saw that were like appearing randomly remember that like one oh, period God, where there was like yes. clowns that were just like showing up
0: yeah evil clown era When would you remember when the worst issue we had to deal with were evil clowns just randomly <laughs> appearing those were a good days would
1: you go back to that if you yes yeah.
0: although i don't know because then i'd have to face everything that was coming and i feel like we just got out of all that
1: you're right you're right you're right
0: so maybe not but maybe. i do miss the era of evil clowns and i feel like it, there was a line in the sand though where they actually started like attacking people yes. or like acting aggressively and that's too much yeah i just want them standing on the side of the road in the middle of the night waving at me with a sign that says i'm gonna kill you, you
1: know? yes yeah 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 that's, that's okay all- but That's
0: what I want out of them. Don't come into
1: my house. Don't.
0: No, no,
1: no, 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 no. no, no.
0: Um, Emily really fast mm-hmm. What's your relationship with Stephen King Are you best friends are you lovers Who, who is he to you
1: I think that you and I have different relationships to Stephen King I was thinking about it earlier today And I think that my relationship to Stephen King Is mainly through like adaptations I haven't read as many Of his works as you have by, by a mile And I honestly have struggled Like I tried to read the It book Like a couple years ago and I really couldn't get Through it I mean that's not a great example because it's a Very long book I feel like my first encounter with like stephen king was probably either through like the movie stand by me or carrie which is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time Mm -hmm. i'm familiar with him through those adaptations and and because there's been so many adaptations of his work he's such a like pop culture figure i always sort of enjoy the sort of vibe that stephen king gives off and it makes me a little bit sad that like it's almost become sort of a cliche in some ways, which we'll probably talk about when we get into the movies. But like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's other properties like a stranger things that are trying to like, you know, um, take from Stephen King when I think Stephen King is sort of his own entity. And, and the thing that we learn so often is that um, you can't quite capture that exact feeling that Stephen King can evoke. Yeah.
0: When it comes to stuff like stranger things, it kind of feels like it, Stephen king cannibalizing himself in a way yeah and it it kind of stops working although i famously am not a stranger things fanatic Mm -hmm. so maybe i'm the wrong person to go to with that i think it's totally acceptable to have a relationship with king through the adaptations a there's been so much of them and as you said it's such he's such a pop culture diva that um i think the adaptations are almost a genre within themselves and there's so many good and bad ones out there
1: yeah and i i think like maybe this is something you can relate to too is like the i found it really cool that there was like this iconic horror personality when i was growing up that like even mm-hmm. if i wanted to talk to a friend or a parent about horror i could like have an entryway with stephen king um they might not know about like you know uh john carpenter or like um any like iconic horror filmmakers but they they would know Stephen King and they would be able to like at least reference something if they didn't like the horror stuff they might know about you know stand by me or like Dolores Claiborne (laughs) I (laughs) love Dolores Claiborne (laughs) I know I just brought it up for you but thank you (laughs) (laughs) but yeah yeah I think like I I found it really cool that there was a successful horror creator and it like kind of I found it kind of inspiring and I know that he definitely inspires you
0: yeah and he like lives on the like shopper's drug mart cvs mainstream Mm -hmm. shelf in a way that you know not any other genre person does
1: yeah yeah absolutely
0: um so before you and i get to the meat of the episode which is the carrie fukunaga adaptation that didn't happen who is andy muschetti how do you say his name
1: i think it's andy muschetti
0: andy muschetti so who in your words miss emily gagne are andy and barbara muschetti's
1: um well they're a brother sister duo cute and um they have made some horror movies like mama was one of their uh major horror movies uh which also starred jessica chastain who stars in it chapter two um and uh they sort of got involved in the it franchise a little bit later like this wasn't supposed to be their thing but they have now owned the it franchise and i think it sort of led to them having a lot of other horror opportunities. Like, I don't think that they're Uh going away in the horror realm. No, it
0: seems like they're staying because of the success of this movie. Yeah, Mama seemed to be, uh, like, a pretty big success for them Mm -hmm. out of the gate. And I got the sense that they were sort of given carte blanche in horror Hollywood to do what they want. I talked to a screenwriter... Um, a few episodes back that was talking about a adaptation and I know that they definite Hollywood definitely pitched that to them and they passed so it seemed like they were able to sort of pick whatever project they wanted and I think they landed on this.
1: I have mixed feelings about them landing on this.
0: I do too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned CGI being not your favorite thing in the world and I think that's something that they... Uh, I think that's something that Mama suffered from was too much CGI, and I and I agree preemptively with you that that carried over into these movies a little bit too heavily. Yeah, I'm guessing that I probably am a bigger fan of these movies than you are, especially the first, because the second one I don't feel the same way about.
1: I like them. I would say that I actually liked them perhaps more on this recent rewatch i think i think that i like kind of had really high expectations going into the movies when we saw them in theaters because i think Mm -hmm. there was the weight of course of the miniseries that i was carrying with me and the scariness of pennywise and i think that a lot of the trailers that we saw leading up to the release like seemed pretty good like they they really they really picked the right moments to highlight and they made it look really scary and so i really wanted to be scared out of my mind and i will say that when i watched it chapter one the first time with you like i wasn't as scared as i wanted to be with you um no really I oh. saw the
0: second one with you for sure.
1: I know. I, I remember us seeing it together. So maybe that's why I'm blending them. But Oh,
0: uh, yeah. Fair uh, enough. Yeah. Um, so Andy and Barbara took over the reins from Carrie Fukunaga uh, after he sort of got fired from the project. Another person that came on board was a Mr. Gary um, Doberman. He came on to rewrite the script that Carrie and Chase Palmer handed in. He would also go on to write solely all of It Chapter 2. So Gary is the uh, writer behind all three Annabelle films, The Nun, and he's working, I think, on his directorial effort or debut, an upcoming adaptation of Salem's Lot. And I think also Andy and Barbara are definitely more Hollywood-friendly artists than Carrie Fukunaga and Chase Palmer were. These are people that have like a solid, proven track record making successful, accessible horror movies in Hollywood. So it kind of makes sense to why Warner Brothers would would uh jump ship from a more alternative artist that they had in Carrie going on board with these two. And you're gonna get what you pay for. And I think that they did bring a more mainstream outlook into these films that maybe in some ways worked and in other ways didn't work so well.
1: I know that Um, I mentioned, I know I mentioned uh, stranger things earlier, but I I, like really think we can't talk about this without talking about stranger things because I I really feel like this the first one at least feels very post stranger things and i feel like the vibe that they wanted for this movie was stranger things because stranger things was this huge hit like it was like Mm -hmm. and people still are into it i mean um maybe not as much as season one so i i think that they wanted to tone it down while still being scary it's not i said that i don't find these movies necessarily scary there are scary parts i'm just i'm not like staying up all night after Mm -hmm. watching them which Mm -hmm. is what i want to do and so often it's what it deserves yeah yeah and maybe a part of it is that i'm not a kid anymore so like i'm not the target for (laughs) pennywise's you know Mm -hmm. um fear sucking demoness but Mm -hmm. i but i but i think that like Definitely, they were like, oh, Andy and Barbara can bring us maybe, like, the Stranger Things take on It that we're looking Definitely. for. And, I mean, at the end of the day, they did make a lot of money off of this first a one.
0: Huge success. Both of them were, were big money makers, but especially that first one. And you were talking about that, the trailer for It Chapter One being really effective. I could be just pulling this out of my butt, but I think that trailer like broke records for like most viewed in a certain amount of time. Um, so there was a sh- like a lot of excitement for this movie. Uh, I talk on my last episode about how there's Stephen King peaks and valleys in terms of um, how excited the culture is for him. And this was definitely at the height i think you're right it had something to do with stranger things sort of swooping in and sort of showcasing this, all, everything stephen king in a sort of accessible fun way yeah and then yeah it chapter one did the same thing
1: yeah and they even cast fin- finn wolfhard t- to yeah, be one favorite. of one of the characters
0: <laughs> my number one favorite actor finn wolfhard and i love his band actually too
1: he so is good. canadian so oh is he
0: i mm-hmm. actually had no idea mm-hmm. well these movies are very canadian they're very like uh, toronto greater toronto area productions
1: yes they are which is our hometown and it, it was is. quite the talk of the town it was quite yes, it was. quite the yes, talk it was. and even,
0: um yes
1: even to this day you can go visit the the house oh can you one. where mm-hmm. is that Pretty sure it's in Hamilton. Don't quote me on it, but uh, you definitely can visit it. And I'm sure there's lots of people that that do make a pilgrimage. Oh, funny.
0: And a, a, a place in the, like a location in the books, and I think in the movies too, is a place called Kitchener Ironworks. And there is a small town not far from Toronto called Kitchener. And that always kind of rang strange to me.
1: You know, the miniseries also has a Canadian connection. It was like shot at BC.
0: Yeah, very much so
1: so it's there's it's mm-hmm. creeping into our territory it is wise. and i think a friend of
0: uh, a mutual friend of ours worked on these films krista i don't know how to say her last name krista c if you're listening krista uh you worked on these movies that's cool very cool
1: very cool. very
0: cool in, in fact
1: but i think the overall vibe like the small town sort of vibe of dairy like is really well captured in the first one and i think that like the movie goes big but not too big like the mm-hmm. of course the climax is is a bigger moment but i think there's a lot of quiet moments in here that really add to some of the characterization i just i just enjoyed the chapter one when i watched yeah. it like it, it felt like yeah. felt like a, a nice movie like i want to have popcorn watching it you know
0: totally like a, almost spielberg kind of a vibe
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's like little nods, like we mentioned Freddy Krueger earlier, but like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street being on the marquee Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff that I think is fun. Yeah, I think I just generally liked it. it, I'm not like obsessed with it, but I I really have a good time with it. How about you?
0: Yeah, I really liked it. I I think the script for the first movie, thanks in part to Carrie Fukunaga, they capture the nuance of evil adults and, and the evil of... You know, looking away rather than speaking up against wrongdoing.
1: It's noticeable that like the adults are not a very big part of the movie in general. And when they are a part of the movie, they're like horrifying. Like think about like the pharmacist who's like a total Oh my creep, God, so
0: gross. So yeah. gross.
1: And then there's also like Bev's dad that we see a lot of like mm-hmm. all Eddie's of his these- mom yeah they're like kind of almost grotesque in a way like they're all grotesque yeah they like all seem like extra sweaty and extra (laughs) yeah
0: they do seem sweaty
1: and like very almost I I said uncanny valley earlier but there's just something like odd about them that make them seem sort of like almost surreal that I think um, really kind of speaks to how you feel as a kid about adults so I think that this this movie does a good job at like sort of capturing the like fear that like kids have of adults in a way and that you know adults can be evil too and that you should be kind of scared at all times almost
0: it kind of has its hooks in this town and it's like in every nook and cranny i think it's the book i think it's the book i don't think it's the carrie fukunaga script where there's a moment where bev's dad so uh, beverly the only female character in the losers club uh has like a really disturbing relationship with her father who is like sexually and physically abusive to her and there is a scene in the book where beverly's father is a child and he encounters it and it spares his life with the sole purpose of knowing that he's going to grow up and cause this person harm and so it's, it's very interesting like cycle of abuse stuff that it is able to perpetuate in a pretty insidious spooky way
1: yeah Oh, I love that. That's definitely must be in the book because I don't remember reading it. It or wasn't, yeah. It. Okay,
0: interesting. Um,
1: I, I totally, I totally agree. I think one of the things that's missing for me in most of the adaptations of it is just this larger dairy factor. Like it's just like the, the town, the curseness of the town, and we get little pieces of it. But I think there's like I've always said. I feel like I've said it to you too that like, I f- someday there needs to be like a dairy series not a mini oh, series but series
0: love that
1: yeah we're like each like episode... a castle
0: rock but for dairy
1: yes it's not just about the story of the losers it's about all the different things that happen in dairy because there's so many interesting stories that i think are in the book that are not brought or brought in some part to these adaptations, but we never get to see them fully. And I think what's so interesting about the story of It in general is just like sort of that this is a cursed town. It's not just about Pennywise. It's about the town as a whole being cursed.
0: I'm trying to look now into which Stephen King properties take place in Derry.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: there's a few. So I'm going to run us through them. Okay. Um, literary works. So we have It. There's his book Insomnia. Bag of Bones, Dreamcatcher, Eleven Twenty Two, Sixty Three, and Secret Window. Which is oh cool. my
1: god, Secret Window.
0: <laughs> I know. I feel like Secret Window is unfortunate because it gets wrapped up in a weird film adaptation, and I have not read the the series of short stories, so I, I don't actually know the quality of it other than the movie.
1: Yeah, but see, there's like a couple of places you could pull from aside from just it. You know, if you made a oh, dairy for sure. series. I'm just saying
0: I'm here for that. I'm going to make a spec. So it chapter one was something important for us to tackle because the Kari Fukunaga script and um, failed production was basically just an alternative to it. Chapter one hairs to Kari Fukunaga's version.
1: Question. I wanted to ask you about it. Chapter two, before we move ahead is, um, what do you think about the queerness in It Chapter 2?
0: Yeah, so the queerness in It Chapter 2, I think in the book as well, is messy. There's queerness scattered throughout the book in different ways, like the homophobes that kill Adrian at the beginning, and then, of course, Richie being a closeted homosexual. And if you're going to do that, like, I think you need to do that without having your foot on the brake. It just felt like the stakes weren't high enough. And it also felt like it was pussyfooting around the subject of homosexuality in a way where they just really don't need to be doing that in our God's year 2019. It almost felt like they were scared of going full homosexual themes. Because they wanted to continue to have a good relationship with middle America. Like they just didn't, they had to keep it subtle so they didn't offend anybody. Yet they also kind of wanted to have it in there. So I think I'd rather just completely having them scrap the Richie being in love with Eddie stuff. Or even just Richie being gay. Because they they offend me by only going halfway. Mm-hmm. It says to me, if you're too scared to talk about gayness, that you think gayness is... You know, something to shield people from when it's obviously not. So yeah, the queerness to me was half-hearted.
1: Yeah. I do want to see more queer characters in horror absolutely but I don't mm-hmm. if you're gonna do it do it I think I was talking to you to be like Eddie and Richie and you were like like before you'd rewatch it you're like I don't even remember that that was like part of it yeah, like like totally. that's that's how insignificant that so, relationship is and I, I don't think that they for me made it clear enough I understand that he's supposed to be closeted but they didn't make it clear enough that there was that connection that he or that feeling that he felt for Eddie I just we saw him like sort Sort of talking to another boy. In a flashback in it chapter Mm 2. But we don't see that sort of connection. So it just felt like very. Sort of tacked on to me.
0: Yeah, Yeah. yeah. And then Pennywise screaming. I know your dirty secret. It was like Pennywise.
1: Yeah and then there was like the fact. I was thinking about how like. When the deadlights hit Richie and basically he's about to get swallowed up by Pennywise. It's sort of like a vaginal opening too. where I was oh, like, I was weird. like, I was like, that's weird. I don't know if that was intentional, but I couldn't help but like read into it a little bit. about. I like, love it. You know, bit forcing something on him that he uh-huh. is not natural or whatever.
0: Yeah. Or that would scare him.
1: Yeah. And so anyways, it felt very sloppy to me. And I, I like the idea of Richie being queer i think that that's that's interesting but i don't think it was handled in the right way
0: here no and it kind of feels like got to catch them all like we got a jew we've got a girl we've got a black person oh and we've got a gay you know like it kind of feels like they're like trying to round out the spectrum in a way that they don't they don't have to do and i think all of these sort of marginalized types are not dealt with Properly. I'm glad that they're all there, but they're all kind of half assed.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. I would absolutely agree with you. One moment that I always think about with the miniseries is that moment where adult Will is on his silver bullet bike riding it. You mean Will? Oh, I said Will? Yeah. Because in (laughs) Gary Fukunaga's script, he's Will. Anyways, it's so
0: weird yeah yes um, correct
1: bill is on the silver bullet with his like wife riding on handlebars and it's do you when, remember this scene when does this happen this is in the miniseries it's like the end no of i the don't miniseries. remember this at all yeah she's like sitting on the what's her name yeah. It's, Audra. yeah and it's it's olivia hussey that <laughs> it's plays. olivia hussey
0: so yeah. hot. I like
1: Olivia Sexy. She, I mean, she's incredible, obviously, iconic Black Christmas. I know. It's just, it's just a little bit hokier than I remembered it being. Made me go, oh, you know what? We were, we were due for a remake. It was time. It was oh, time for because, a remake. And
0: there was never a proper feature film of this. Also, is that ponytail there till the end? Yeah. Bill have, uh, why?
1: 1990, why? It's so bad. It's so it's, bad. And
0: It's often not in the shot and he looks totally normal, if not kind of hot. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the ponytail makes it into the shot and you're like
1: I do really like that Beverly is played by Emily Perkins as a child. So that's Oh my god.
0: Speaking of icons. Yeah. Bridget.
1: Yes. Yes. And she's great in ginger snaps. And I I feel like she is Duke, a resurgence. I'd love to see her in something. Oh, absolutely.
0: Me and Emily are um, our, our friends have a movie club during the pandemic, so we can, like, hang out with each other online, kind of.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm thinking pretty hard about maybe bringing in Ginger Snaps to Unleashed as I my love next that. pick. Love it. Yeah. I don't know how it holds up, though. So if you do know, let us know. Comment below.
1: Breaking news. Breaking news. Possible movie club pick incoming. <laughs> possible
0: movie club pick. To-
1: um, But, yeah, I don't think I'll ever watch the miniseries again, to be honest with you. I just was like, this was a I lot of time. This is. <laughs> No, it's fine. I think it's a lot of time to invest for a movie that doesn't give me a lot aside from Tim Curry. Like, I'd prefer to just watch clips of Tim Curry, like, doing just
0: being a cool guy
1: yeah well clowning
0: just, in around just
1: clowning just clowning Aww. around
0: yeah he's a clown and i'm in town and i'm and i like that recap so i wow is it was it worth it watching that three and a half hour miniseries for that five minute question
1: you know it was you know it
0: wasn't worth it listening to a 42 hour audiobook <sighs> See I'm that's, say that that wasn't worth it.
1: That's it. Where I was like, man, Josh is putting in the time. I guess I have to put in the <laughs> I time.
0: Almost did it. I was so close. <laughs> okay, everyone. The reason you're here, the reason why you want to listen, is because we are going to talk about the Carrie Fukunaga never made it adaptation, which is pretty cool, and I think is the reason why it chapter one was successful so let's dive in (laughs) so who is carrie fukunaga writer filmmaker television producer probably best known for directing season one of true detective on ebo and for (laughs) the show maniac on netflix he also did he write and direct the movies sin Nobre, beasts of no nation and no time to die he definitely directed these movies and he was fired from this production for being a bit of a maverick (laughs) um it's hard to know exactly why he was let go he um has been interviewed a number of times since where he says that warner brothers We're kind of scared that he was too much of a loose cannon. And that he was too much of an art house guy. And that he wasn't going to be a team player. And he swears that he would have been. So I think that's kind of interesting. I get the sense that he was maybe too much of like a, an art house Arthur. And probably being a little bit difficult. Mm-hmm. Which is maybe why they let him go. But I I can't say for sure Z's. But he was working on this production. I think they hired him in 2012 to start development. And he was working on it until at least 2015. So he was in Derry, Maine for a really long time
1: 27 years
0: it's all cyclical
1: was he actually like called a maverick like like is that no a no <laughs> I, I use that word
0: i use that word it's, um. uh,
1: it sounds like and from what we know about him and the things that we've seen of 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 his like i'm not a true detective head or anything but like no, there really? is there is definite artistry to that yeah, show, yeah whether or not it's your cup of tea and mm-hmm. clearly he's got a, st- a specific style and mm-hmm. I also think it's not so mainstream like working with HBO you're kind of allowed to do whatever mm-hmm. you want because it's cable when you're making a big budget movie that they're hoping to make a bunch of money off of you doing riskier things even though people know you from True Detective and that was a hit it's, it's, it's a risk cool
0: yeah. yeah and he was hired I think before his True Detective fame too which is interesting so they had him on board a long long time ago and this project was in development hell for like eight years. And a lot of people thought it was full-on cancelled before they brought in Andy and Barbara and Gary. Me and Emily are now going to sort of go through the basic differences between the versions of what we saw. So what IT Chapter 1 turned into under Andy and Barbara versus the IT Chapter 1 screenplay that was written by Fukunaga and Chase Palmer. I'm going to start us off by saying... One of the main weird differences between the script and the actual production was that Carrie changed Bill's name to Will. He also changed Henry Bauer's name to Travis. And I thought, why? Like, why are you doing this? It was his brainchild to separate these two films into purely the kids and the adults. Because the book and the miniseries mix the timelines up where the kids' story and the adult stories are intertwined. This, version plays it first the kids and then the adults and i think that's really effective and another thing that they do is they make the kids era the 80s versus the 50s which is when the king version takes place so maybe will and travis were like more 80s Mm. names is the only thing i can think of uh yeah so there's more um talk of homosexuality in Mm -hmm. the Carrie Fukunaga version, but not necessarily in nice ways. The word fag is thrown around very loosey-goosey, which makes sense because up until, what, like five years ago, that word was thrown around fairly loosey-goosey. One of the big differences between the Fukunaga script and the script that we saw is that the Fukunaga version included one of the darker, scarier, more political aspects of the book, which is violence against Black people Mm -hmm. uh, back in the 60s. There was a black bar in town, like people frequented, called the Black Spot. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk us a little bit about this?
1: Yeah. Also, just just a note that like th- this script also uses the N word, mm-hmm. which is not something that I remember at least hearing in these new It movies. Probably because I, there's not enough time with I Mike. I don't
0: think it is. Like I think even when Henry Powers yells at him for for being black, he says, "Get out of my town" and stuff like that. Yeah. But I don't think he actually uses the N word.
1: Yeah. in. in in this script the n-word is used and i mean that's problematic in its own way but it also feels like a little bit more realistic considering this yeah, is like ho- so. a small town in the 80s and these are like horrible like white characters yep. doing the same this. with
0: the word fag yeah. yeah
1: yeah um but there's there is this interesting scene um you know mike gets a lot more play in this version of the script and we also like spend some time with mike's father leroy yeah. yes leroy and uh Leroy sort of basically starts telling Mike about something that happened to him when he was young, going to this bar called the Black Spot. And basically there was like sort of like a KKK like group that set this bar aflame. Mm-hmm. And then Leroy and his friend sort of had to escape. And in their escape, they happened upon Pennywise. I think that this script does a really good job at like sort of putting Pennywise in the background of so many different like events, which is sort of what he does in the book too. But this scene I think is particularly horrifying. Maybe one of the most horrifying horrifying scenes in the script to be honest yes, Um, because it's real life scary with the fact that there's like this KKK group but also it's like supernatural scary because we have this Pennywise moment at the end so I think Mm -hmm. that that's really effective and then also something else that we see in this version of the script is Dick Halloran who is in The Shining also sort of has a cameo there's quite a few Shining references actually there are a
0: few Shining references yeah so Dick Halloran uh, correct me if I'm wrong is uh, Leroy the, the father of Mike it's his friend and they're the ones that are able to escape the the club that's burning down and they witness all of these people burning to death in like really grotesque realistic ways
1: yeah and I think like what makes this so effective is you're like this kind of stuff like aside from the fact if it or Pennywise is, is part of the town of aside from this being dairy like this is something that could actually happen and this yeah. is this is the way that it is Able to navigate and hide in these spaces by playing mm-hmm. off of things that could actually happen and manipulating yeah. people into yeah. doing stuff like this. Yeah,
0: like he orchestrates the, the white hood KKK types into burning down this building. Leroy says, like, it, they were just under the control of the clown.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which, which in, s- in some ways, you're like, okay, well, there probably were still KKK type folks. Yeah, and they probably, probably would
0: still murder a group of people easy.
1: Right. But like, Pennywise but was posted. Pushing them to do this specific that's what I'm saying is like but it in some ways there's power to this moment because it's like a little grounded in reality
0: I um, so love that dick Halloran makes it, an appearance in this I think that's so cool
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and I I think this script feels like very thoughtful in a way that I don't know that I felt about the end result of what became of Ch- it chapter one like there's like there's like these homages and there's mm-hmm. these like these little pieces of the bigger story of dairy in this. Yeah.
0: So there's a scene early on where the character, the child character of Mike is having like a, a vision like a nightmare vision because of Pennywise, and he's in an alleyway next to um his workplace, and he has a vision of all of these people stuck in a fire, and like he sees their hands trying to make their way out of the side of the door, and he can't help them, and then the door s- swings open and he sees the silhouette of the clown, and that's as deep as they touch on the subject of the black spot in it chapter one and it's effective mostly if you've read the book if you haven't read the book i don't think you would understand exactly what was going on
1: i suppose it's also like the idea that um mike's parents are are dead in it chapter one and two right
0: they they are it's his uncle that he's working for
1: yeah well like they show like um A newspaper clipping basically alluding that mike's parents are crackheads that's what they say in the movie i'm not i'm not saying crackheads and and that they died in this fire of being crackheads Um,
0: oh i I, I didn't catch that am i am i
1: wrong am i wrong i hope no i believe you i I absolutely believe you (laughs) and so i found that to be a little bit weird and like a little bit racist in a, in a way whereas I think in this Carrie Fukunaga script he actually has a relationship with his father that we see on screen like I mentioned earlier and his father has cancer in it It's it felt like a story that like was grounded in real life as opposed to sort of like trying to make it over the top and again we only have so much time so I guess that's what happens when you have to split this like huge story into only two parts but I, but mm-hmm. I think that like for me the mic character really stood out as more developed in the carrie fukunaga yes
0: crypt. i agree and they and he, they pull from the book more effectively because this is one of the more effective scary political moments in the book that they just sort of scrap completely from the first movie
1: yeah so I I found that part like as much as it's very disturbing very effective and there's a couple other moments that are pulled from the book
0: yeah let's get into them
1: there's this pretty scary scene that maybe you can summarize about the axe scene
0: yeah so there's a scene in the book and in the Carrie Fukunaga script which is another flashback to the history of dairy where it goes back to like 1899 to this very old-timey saloon. And then there's a segment where a character by the name of Claude is playing a poker or something. And then it doesn't go the way he wants it. And he slaughters a bunch of people with an axe in the saloon and it's an extremely gory really frightening scene and one of the reasons why it works so well is because it shows that the people not getting slaughtered like the bartender and other people around them like hardly notice it happening and you see that the clown is sort of just there as like the marionette masters puppeteering all of this carnage and everyone else turns a blind eye and it's one of the more effective scenes to show you know like the disease of dairy about how everyone accepting of all of the terrible things happening around them as long as it's not affecting them directly and
1: mm-hmm. it's like
0: a, it's a really brutal scene like you have like arms and legs sort of flying around and one guy begs for his life because he just got married and it's like it's brutal and I wish that they had kept it
1: yeah I mean, that would have been like a gore fest, which I think would have been awesome. And I I love that it's sort of the end of the scene is like he's killed all these people and like sits down to drink a beer that's left over. Like it's, it's, you know, that's how much he's taken over by Pennywise. And Pennywise is also like sitting at a like a a he's piano a or something
0: yes and he's, and he's playing the piano yeah. maybe yeah, yeah it's really weird well because in the in the it, chapter one that we got it's all just like information dumb this is like a library project where we learn about the history of dairy in a very traditional horror movie way rather than actually showing some of this historical stuff in all of its gory glory
1: i was really taken by these flashback scenes reading this script i was like man this is, this is what i was wanting this is what I was craving. And so it makes me sad that they didn't put it. I understand why, but um, yeah, me too. there's a couple other things that were kind of interesting changes, differences between this script and what actually got made. Parents in general are featured more in this script. Like they have lines mm-hmm. and sort of like scenes as opposed yeah, to
0: developed. Yeah.
1: Like Bev's dad is like a pretty ex- explicit rapist in this version of the movie. There is a scene where he basically you know, threatens to rape uh, Bev Bev, and yeah. she runs away luckily um, but Mo- yep. Bev's mom is also in this and sort of has a, an odd moment with her sort of talking about a period and like like holding up a bloody tampon
0: yes very weird moment
1: yeah, and that I have problems with Bev all all the way through. But I, I was almost like I felt like it was trying a little too hard to give Bev something, and I was like, periods and girls, like come on, we can do more than this. You know what I mean? Like I like I get yeah. that it's I get that it's a connection between blood and the horror of of being a woman and becoming a woman. But it, it just felt like I was like, don't know exactly what I want more from Bev, but I I feel like I want some stuff that's not just about her being a girl. A girl. Yeah, yeah. Um, that doesn't have to do with her vagina, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. like so like, for me, it's like I don't know how much Bev's mom really added to it.
0: I'm not a woman, and so what I think matters a whole lot less, but I found that menstruation conversation super interesting and super surreal and kind of twin peaksy, and i I liked it
1: I did like there's like another scene where the same sort of moment of Bev in the bathroom where like the blood splatters everywhere and she can see it, but her dad can't see it um and adults can't see it like there's a moment where there's blood all over the bathroom in the morning and Bev's sort of freaking out about it and her mom like walks in to fix her her face or whatever and Mm -hmm. is clearly unbothered by this like blood because she can't see can't see it yeah and I thought that that was like kind of an effective moment, and I think the yeah. mom says something like, "Oh, I always feel like disgusting in the morning too." Which, and which she
0: I... pats her face with the blood. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I like that kind of stuff. I I really, I really enjoyed. But I Thank I did. Too. There's got better for Bev. If they ever make this dairy like series, <laughs> give me more for Bev. Make Bev yeah. like the main character of of the. Series or something. Bev is
0: complicated, dependent on being sexualized or on being, you know, a walking vagina. You're right.
1: Yeah, like I wanted to highlight Bev in. Uh, from it chapter one on final girl fashion and when i went to like google the character like there's like shots of her where she's like in her underwear you know after they've jumped off the the cliff into the water and i was just like man this is weird like do Mm -hmm. i i know that like part of it is supposed to be like oh these guys are like looking at her because they're like growing boys and whatever Mm -hmm. but i i just like it's like do i do i need that i i don't I don't know that I need that, so I, no. I I like specifically chose photos of her that are do not both. show her in underwear, because <laughs> yeah. um, she has some cute outfits in in a so chapter cute. one. You know she, so. yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I kind of wish they had picked Amy Adams for Adult Bev rather than rather than Chastain, but it both works.
1: We knew it was going to happen though. Like you know, as soon as Andy and Barbara were attached, you're like, "Okay, hey, Jessica Chastain is going to be in there." Yeah.
0: yeah. So the the menstruation moments are strange. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a moment in the I think it's actually in the script where they say like they're talking about how it's scaring them individually, and they're like, "Oh well, it scared it." She's it scared Bev with blood which it goes like yeah because all girls are scared of blood and mm-hmm. bev's like you don't know bullshit about girls it's because yeah. we have fucking menstruation cycles and then they're like "Ew." I was like, okay
1: yeah i know so. that that's like a, again that's like a moment where i'm like okay i get it i get it i get it like you don't you're pushing it down my throat a little bit you know? <laughs> yeah um yeah. there was there was also just one quote that i wanted to pull from the script about bev before we move on talking about that sort of like initial blood scene in the bathroom This is a literal line from the script. Like a demonic ejaculation blood splatters the mirror the wallpaper bouncing off the walls and covering Beverly she screams and runs out the door like
0: that's Stephen King Carrie Fukunaga why
1: demonic ejaculation like I, I, that, I understand I that you're like trying to conjure up an image but when it's dealing with like a young girl like
0: finding all this different Pennywise content there's a lot of like shipping Pennywise romantically out there in a shocking way
1: like with who
0: a lot of it is gay um who do they ship him with that's gay i don't know but it's it's, it's often gay for some okay. reason
1: interesting interesting
0: although pennywise is female so in the it. book he uh pennywise uh lays eggs so i like to think that she's a lady <laughs> one of the last major differences between carrie fukunaga's script and the one that we ended up seeing in chapter one is with stan the jewish character so there's this moment early on where stan encounters a nude ghost as sort of his vision of terror in the basement of the synagogue where he's uh, practicing for his bar mitzvah. And there's a moment where he goes downstairs and in the Jewish culture, there is something called a mikveh, which is a bath where women go to sort of clean themselves after they menstruate so that they can engage with the Torah. Uh, On the Orthodox level, women are not sort of permitted to touch the Torah at all, but if they are to be around it, it's not allowed on their periods. And so they have to sort of bathe in the sacred bath where Stan encounters a naked woman. It's very much like the scene in The Shining mm-hmm. where Danny encounters the naked lady in the bath. So she appears and she's like, oh, um, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Like, you're going to be a man soon. And she stands up and she's, like, really disgusting and falling apart and like very much like the woman from The Shining, to the point where it may even be a reference. I'm sure. Yeah, you think so, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I it conjured it in my head immediately when I was reading oh, that. For scene.
0: sure, I, I love it. I, I love all of the stan horror. I think they really did it effectively in it chapter one with the painting of mm-hmm. the woman because I think that's like a very common sort of kid fear Well, will you'll see something kind of normal like an abstract painting and it'll evoke fear and terror in you for some reason or another but this was good i really liked this version of events
1: i think again i i, I feel in general that like all of the kids were like almost a, more developed in, in this version of the script. Mm-hmm. And I think Stan gets a little bit more, like that moment is is really interesting in It Chapter 1, but I feel like other than that, like I don't spend that much time with Stan. And then of course we know what happens to him in It Chapter 2. Mm-hmm. Um, So I appreciated this moment where it was also like engaging with his religion, which is part of his story. And in the script too, I think they make a little bit More with his bar mitzvah. Like, there's like, they make that sort of like a climactic moment. And then after that, they sort of go on their journey to sort of try to defeat it.
0: In the book, a lot of the fears that they face as kids are much more relevant to being a kid in the 50s. Like a lot of the horror that they face are universal monsters, like a wolfman and a mummy and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think in the Carrie Fukunaga version, the children fear stuff. Really interesting. That actually seeps into what we ended up seeing with it chapter one.
1: In general, I would say that the version of it chapter one that we have actually seen come to fruition is not that different intrinsically from this script. Like Mm -hmm. the story is pretty much the same with the exception of, you know, these added flashbacks and stuff. But aside from that, like it follows a lot of the same trajectory and even some of the lines are the same. So you can, Mm -hmm. you can really see that this was sort of just rewritten by, these yeah. other people. And Carrie Harry. and
0: Chase they do. They get a writing credit for it. And mm-hmm. it's not just like it's it's it, like it's it's really their script in a lot of ways. Which is why I think the first one is so much better than the mm-hmm. second one, is that you do have that Fukunaga sort of
1: Yeah, there there even though it is softer than the script that we read, I think that there is an edge to it chapter one that is kind of missing from it chapter two.
0: I think the visuals and the direction are uh, consistent between the two.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's just like the way that the story goes for me that is less mm-hmm. effective, which is not necessarily the director's fault.
0: Um, so I think that we really covered all of the major differences between it Chapter One and the Fukunaga version. Would you agree or disagree with me?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think I think we oh. covered it,
0: and we've ultimately covered um, the lost it adaptation by Chase Palmer and Carrie Fukunaga. How? do you feel
1: i feel like i've like beat an age-old evil is how i feel
0: (laughs) we do and i think it took us 27 years
1: it did like we're not 27 but let's pretend we are
0: (laughs) i wish
1: uh we're we're close to 27 closer closer to
0: 27 than we are 57
1: i respect a little bit like pennywise is like oh you know what i'm i'm gonna go into hiding for 27 yeah. years and then when i'm ready i'm gonna come back you know look, I'm
0: sleepy. I, yeah.
1: take taking a long nap i appreciate i can She's relate like a
0: cicada yeah which is a relevant point of topic right now because there's a lot of cicadas emerging right. shout out to you guys Hi. <laughs> if you're a cicada i plead please leave five stars
1: cicada review
0: just, yes what it, Cic- cicada cast <laughs> <laughs> um
1: okay so that leads us to
0: conclusions mm-hmm. how do you feel thoughts overall carrie versus doberman what like do you wish we could have seen this a uh, more traditional carrie fukunaga version or do you think sort of having middle ground kind of worked out
1: uh i did a lot of thinking about this before because i knew this was going to be a question i i prefer the script I really was surprised by how much I liked it, and I think that I I just really, really liked some of the character development in his script, and I appreciate that it came through in in IT Chapter 1, but it I think there are some better moments in this script, mm-hmm. but a part of me goes, you know, if Carrie couldn't make that version, then I'm glad that he didn't, and that it wasn't um, put in the wrong hands. Like I feel yeah. like he would have done a really good job, and I also think, in a, in a way, that like not having going, not having gone so hard. And so gory on this version leaves room for another even scarier It maybe adaptation in the future.
0: Yeah, like a series. Something that we forgot to mention was the finale. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. So
0: the, the finale was generally the same, except there was a giant starfish. I don't... Do you have anything to say about this weird giant starfish?
1: It was bad. It was bad. Yeah, it was and weird. it was, once again, too long. I think, <laughs> I think there's lots of jokes, actually, in it chapter one and it chapter two that we've seen about like the ending sucks like it's a recurring yes. bit
0: yes it is a bit and
1: in uh I, in some ways i'm like okay i get that you're owning it but like make it better for me then like it's never been it's never been done well on screen i think the ending no. it's never effective no and it's
0: because it doesn't have an effective ending in the source material
1: and i think it's it's a it's just like too much is happening so Mm -hmm. no matter how you portray it it's gonna seem a little bit too much and And, and messy yeah very messy and so i think that i will say like carrie's script still wasn't able to stick the landing with the ending no um but uh so much of the lead-up and even like the like sort of like tag that the movie that the script had like i think was like a little bit better than the ending of it chapter yeah. two that we saw. I,
0: th- I think all of that like hokey, like jokey stuff about um, Bill's character, not being able to write
1: mm-hmm.
0: a successful ending definitely stems from like everyone's criticism on King. Like I think it's like a well known criticism that he faces is that King himself is unable to write a successful ending on his generally successful novels. And so that's uh, kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Well, obviously, Stephen King was somewhat okay with these new It films because he does make a cameo in in Chapter Two.
0: That's so amazing.
1: <laughs> but uh, I I would say like in general, these the the adaptations that we actually got to see are like not my favorite King adaptations, but like I'm not upset that they exist. Do you know?
0: Yeah. No, I actually was surprised by how much i really liked the first one
1: yeah it's solid i i would say it's like solid and it's nice and compact in a, in a good way um, yeah i wish and you were saying it's
0: like classic horror like it's really iconic modern horror and i think a lot of kids now are gonna be like it's gonna be like a big moment for them in the future
1: yeah absolutely this this is their horror icon like this mm-hmm. is this is their freddy you know
0: yeah and it, i think that's cool
1: yeah it it is very cool um so in in, i mean i think we're gonna see pennywise like for years to come i've seen him at like horror mazes like (laughs) like walking around Uh, you know so
0: yeah although i will say even though we should have said this earlier i don't i'm not obsessed with this design of pennywise Pennywise? yeah Mm -hmm. so trying a little hard in my opinion i agree I i prefer the design for the first film
1: yeah, I I'm with you. I'm with you. That I get like I like I said, you know, a couple times it's just like I think the simplicity of the makeup that they did on Tim Curry really is effective because the thing is it can be so many different things, but I feel like when it is being pennywise the clown Like he should be a clown and should be like feel real as a clown. And I think that, that there is a, like you're saying too much going on Mm -hmm. um, with his makeup and everything in these versions. Although I do kind of like that one small scene in it chapter two, where he's like putting his makeup on his face. I I found, found that kind of interesting. And I, I have a feeling because we'll never know. That Carrie Fukunaga would have gone like a sloppier way with the clown makeup on Pennywise if he had actually directed it. Yes. Yeah.
0: I think think that could be said about how he would have directed it in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Emily, remind us, where can we find you on the internet?
1: Well, if you just want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Emily Gagne, E M I L Y G A G N E. Um, on Instagram, you can follow Final Girl Fashion at at Final Girl Fashion. Um, I'm happy to take DMs if you've got ideas of of iconic oh. women in horror that need to be featured. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm I'm hoping to start um writing a little bit more about women in horror again, so stay tuned. But if you follow me there, then. You'll learn what's coming up next.
0: And thank you so much for going through all of this killer clown content. <laughs> Appreciate it, and I, I this was really fun. So thank you for coming on the pod again.
1: I am always here to talk about horror movies with you. I mean, we do it anyway, so might as well just like mic up and and record it. You know,
0: <laughs> we truly too. And you know what? <laughs> One of these days, we'll float too. Ooh. You can also follow us online on basically any social media platform at DevilHellPod. So that's it for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and write a review because it really helps us get seen in this vast, endless hell of horror movie podcasts. See ya.